If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching us on Facebook, we're really glad that you're here and watching because we are continuing a series based on the book Driven by Eternity by John Bevere. We started it last year. We paused for Christmas. Today will be part eight. Um, but we paused for Christmas because I wanted to give everybody a Christmas gift and uh, really kind of ease up because the first six parts were really difficult. And right before Christmas, we did part seven, which I gave you a glimpse of heaven. Remember that? Just a little bit like it was my Christmas gift to you after talking about hell so much and judgment for the unbeliever. It was, it was difficult for me to preach it, so I can't imagine how hard it was for you to listen to it and try to apply it to your life. I mean, it's di- you, know, you realize that difficult sermons are good, right? When you have to wrestle with God, it's, it's good, right? Um, I hope that you'll be blessed by being with us, but most of all, we hope that you are just transformed by the presence of God, because this is not about us. And so we're asking God to just transform our lives. Um, so like I said, right before Christmas, I gave you a little a glimpse of heaven. Uh, the last time we talked, uh, right before December, we talked about how Paul... God actually allowed Paul to go and see a little glimpse of heaven. And Paul said, remember in the scripture, he said, guys, listen, I've seen it. It may have been a vision. I may have been there in person. I don't know, but I've seen it. And let me tell you something. It's far, the scripture literally says this, it's far, far, far better than earth. We talked about how the believer will spend eternity, how they will spend eternity. You'll have the same body as Jesus. We, saw, we talked about how heaven's going to change locations. It's going to literally descend from the skies and rest over planet earth. And then the earth will be restored back into the eternal home of God. It will be restored back into the Garden of Eden. And you'll be able to go from place to place. Because you'll have a glorified body. You'll be able to just think, hey, I want to go to the New Jerusalem. Boom, you can be there in an instant just by... You'll be able to walk through walls. You'll have a 33-year-old body. Yes! Hallelujah, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus had a pretty good diet, so I'm going to lose my spare tire. Yes, I can't wait. We, dis- we discussed some of the things that you will see in heaven. Now listen, we're talking about streets of gold, but it's not gold the way we know gold. This is gold that you can see through. It's so pure. Our gold is dirty gold. This is pure gold. You'll be able to see right through the streets of gold. There are going to be 12 gates For the 12 tribes, 12 gates of pearl. Do you remember how thick they were? These gates are as thick as two football fields. Thick. 216 feet thick of of pure, pure pearl. I can't wait to see them. Forget the streets of gold. I can't wait to see a pearl that big. Walls that are 1,400 miles high and 1,400 miles wide. You, you could get halfway across America. That's how wide the walls in heaven are going to be. And they're going to be made of precious jewels. And they list all the jewels in there. Here's the greatest part, guys. We will be able to do something that no one in, Bible, in the Bible has been able to do. We will be able to see the face of God. The face of God. Now, they'll be able to see it with us in heaven, right? But they never got to see that. We will be able to see the face of God. Wow. So I don't know about you, but that should move our spirits. That should be enough to stop habitually sinning now because we don't want to miss out on that. For today, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're going to probably hang out in 1 Corinthians, so you want to get your finger there. It's only two chapters over, so if you just go to Romans chapter 14, 
It's page 1124 in the black Bibles in front of you under the chair if you didn't bring a Bible with you. 1124, 1124. We're going to continue to talk about heaven from here on out. No more hell talk, right? We don't want to talk about that. We're done. We want to talk about heaven today specifically. We're going to talk about the judgment for the believer because I want you to be prepared. I want you to know what you're going to be judged on. Today we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. So I want to remind you that we're using a lot of Scripture and studying this out. And the reason, the reason is, is that we are using a lot of Scriptures is because it's very important to have the Word of God as your foundation. Very important. And that was one of the goals that John Bevere set for this book. I don't want this to be my opinion. I want it to be what God says. And so he overdoes the Scripture, and I love that. I love it. All throughout the book... He reminds his readers that he doesn't like saying something unless he sees it backed up by the Word of God. And neither should we. Even if we don't like it. If God said it, then it's the truth. Okay? Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 9. I'll be reading from different translations, so forgive me, um, but they'll all be on the screen. Most of what we'll be reading from, because it's in the book that way, is the New King James Version. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose, rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You see why this morning's message from God is so important about making him Lord and Master? It's the reason he died. Not so you can continue to habitually sin, but that you would make him Lord of your life. He wants to be a part of every decision you make, every thought you have, and every word that comes out of your mouth. He wants to be a part of it. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Everyone say brother. brother. We are talking about believers here, not unbelievers. Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow. We just sang about that. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, so then, each of us, and that means believers, okay? Because we're talking about brothers, believers, each of us, Believers shall give an account of himself to God. He is clearly speaking to believers here, and we see it again. Go over to 2 Corinthians with me, chapter 5. We see it again in two books over. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1144 in the Black Bibles. Just 20 pages over. Well, I might be wrong. I don't remember what I said earlier, but I think it's 20 pages. So we're going to start with verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Let me know when you're there. Everybody there? Say amen. amen. All right, because we're going to hang here for a little bit, I believe, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Yes, verse 8 says, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Because we understand that our, and here's the fear of the Lord that we talked about in one of the parts, remember that? Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. It's a good fear. It's a healthy fear. It's the kind of healthy fear you should have of your parents. We work hard to persuade others. Because of that fear, we work hard to bring others to the Lord. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Clearly, Paul is talking about believers here as well. Because when an unbeliever or a habitual sinner is removed from this earthly body, body, they will not be with the Lord. They will be in hell, correct? 
Okay, after the tribulation, remember, there's a, there's a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, right? Remember we talked about this? We talked about the end times, and we listed all the things that are going to happen. So, after the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is going to be loosed again to tempt the nations. And the nations that join Satan against the Lord will be devoured by the fire of God. We're going to be able to witness this. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss out on, on, the, on the rapture, okay? You don't want to miss out on this because you're going to be able to view this from heaven. It's going to be sad and yet amazing to watch. Satan, after that, will be thrown into the pit of hell forever and ever and ever. And he will no longer be allowed to mess with anybody. Then, there's this great white throne of judgment, which means Hades will give up all the dead. And the dead shall stand before Jesus. And guess what they're going to be judged on? Their works. So those of you that, that have believed a lie that what you do here on earth, what you actually do, your work, serving and giving, will not be judged, you're wrong. You've been taught wrong. It is about works and it's about faith. Okay? And if their names are not found written in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. Now, when does the believer's judgment occur? If that's for the dead, when does the believer's judgment occur? We are not told specifically when this will happen, but John Bevere, John Bevere gives some specific scripture in his book, that, and he points out that he believes that it's before the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, because we'll already be in heaven, right? So we've already probably stood before the judgment seat, okay? It's during or after the tribulation. The point is this. It's definitely, definitely a separate judgment than for the unbeliever, Okay? Now, if you look at the word judgment seat, it comes from the Greek word bema. Strong's Concordance defines it like this, a step or a foot breath. A rostrum, which is an elevated platform. A tribunal, which is a court of justice. That's more what we kind of think of it as. John 5.22 says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to who? Who's the Son? Jesus, okay? In your notes, if you're following along on the back of your bulletin, there's fill in the blanks just to help keep you awake. This should keep you awake anyways, because this is pretty huge, what we're talking about. In your notes. That is why it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Not only is Jesus our Savior, He's also our judge. So I think we probably have to understand what the word judgment means. We know what judgment seat means. It's like court of justice. What is judgment? Judgment comes from the Greek word krima, which means a decision resulting. Listen, this is huge. A decision resulting from an investigation for or against. So what does that tell me when I read that? When I get to the judgment seat, God is going to investigate my life. He's going to investigate my works and my faith and a whole bunch of other things that we're going to talk about today. There's going to be an investigation. This is so important because especially today, right? Because there are way too many Christians who do not know that they will have to give an account for their short stay on the earth. Too many think that because we're saved, because of a prayer, that they will not face a judgment. Listen, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus does cleanse us from sins that would otherwise keep us from the kingdom. But it does not free us from an obligation or responsibility of our actions on earth. Good or bad, they will be judged. And, and for the believer, it's not supposed to be a scary moment. It's supposed to be all about laying the treasure at Jesus' feet, being rewarded, and just saying, man, Jesus, thank you. I'm just going to give this back to you. 
It's only because of you that I'm here and I was able to do what you did with me on earth. But the point is, is there's a lot of teachings that say the believer will not stand before Jesus and have to give an account for their life. Remember what we've already spoken of. The decisions that are made at the judgment seat will be eternal. They are final. That means you can't beg or pray your way out of them. The investigation into your earthly life and decisions will be final. They'll be final. Jesus will make a final decision. So, your case will not be reviewed. Okay, because we know in the earthly court system, there's an appeal process, right? Not in the heavenly court system. There's no appeal process. Jesus, listen to this, this is huge. Jesus is appealing to you now. Because there is no appealing process later. He's appealing to you now. Please, please do not sin. Because later is just that. It's late. But remember, for the believer, it's not where we will spend eternity, but how we will spend eternity in the city of God. A believer is not someone who just said a prayer. A believer is, is someone who had made Jesus Lord and Master of their life. And, and if you're that person who has made Jesus the King of your heart, it's been settled by the cross where you will spend eternity. You're in, baby. So now it's just about what, am I, what do I get to do with Jesus in heaven? But listen in your notes. Even for the believer, how we spend our time in eternity in the city of God Will be, ter- will be determined how we spend our time here on earth. How we spend our time is determined by how we spend our time. And we don't have a lot of time here. And some of us have already wasted 50 years. And we need to start doing some things for Christ and stop doing some things for ourselves. Maybe less things for ourselves and more for Christ. That's why this is just a good wake-up call. Your pastor wants you to be ready for this. Do you realize I would have to stand and I would be judged by not telling you the hard truth of this? I would be judged for that and I would receive punishment for that. I'm not saying I would go to hell, but I would lose rewards for being scared of not telling you the truth because I'm worried if you're going to like me or stay in my church or if you're going to keep tithing. Listen, the sad thing about inner healing is I was freed from insecurity. It's a good thing, but it's, a, it's, it's sad for you because you can't threaten me with your money anymore. Not that you did. But I don't live in fear anymore. I don't have to. I've been freed from fear, insecurity, shame. Yes, and rejection. Remember in the allegory in the book that we read together in part two, and if you have not heard the allegory or read it, if you don't buy the book, you can go on our website. Part two is me reading the allegory of the kingdom of Aphabel. And it's basically just a depiction that God downloaded to John Bevere about what's going to happen for the unbeliever and the believer at judgment. But in that allegory, remember the mayor of Endel. His name was Selfish. Remember Selfish? He thought that because he was a prominent figure in Endel, which is earth, represents earth, he thought that he would be a prominent figure in heaven, in Aphabel. Remember that? Remember he thought he was going to sit on the throne because he was a mayor on earth? which a mayor would probably represent maybe not a pastor because the pastors were teachers, but maybe a, maybe a mayor would be, you know, I don't know, maybe a bishop in a denomination in a church. I don't know, but it was maybe an elder in a church, but it was a high position. 
And so he thought automatically that he would sit on a throne. And then listen to this snippet up on the screen. Read it with me. This is kind of his wake-up call when he realized he did not live for Jalen. He did not live for the Lord in his short time. Selfish saw the good he had done in the king's name, but was overwhelmed by how much of his life works were motivated by his own protection, reputation, and selfish motives. By the time the reveal was complete, Selfish felt certain he was doomed. He cried out before the king, I deserve to be punished for the rest of my life. I deserve loan, which was hell. I've wasted so much and produced so little in return for the talents and responsibilities that I had. This is why Andrew's testimony this morning, guys, is so huge. He sat home, I hope I can share this, but I'm going to make you look bad for a minute to, to glorify your testimony. He sat home for eight and a half years believing lies and did not do much for the kingdom. Eight years lost and now he's saying, I'm back, baby, and I'm back with a vengeance. And not only now did I make the king of the Lord, king, the Lord the king of my heart, I'm serving and I'm laying up treasures of heaven and I, you don't have to, you don't have to congratulate me you don't have to pat me on the back because he's a lot of what he's doing is in the dark it's in the seat it's during the week while you're working and sleeping he doesn't care he doesn't need to be applauded because he's working for a different reason he's working for the lord for a different reason right to lay up treasures in heaven he's not wasting his time anymore he's taking it seriously now in the allegory, selfish made it to, into Aphabel. He did make it to heaven, but not on a throne like he previously thought. He served on the outskirts of Aphabel as a ruler of landscapers. By the way, everyone in heaven will be a ruler. It's just where you rule and how much you rule, how much responsibility is given you. But we also saw Charity. Remember Charity? She was the other one in the allegory that made it to heaven. She was just a restaurant owner in Endel. Maybe a, in in. In, on the earth, it would be like a Sunday school teacher or something like that. She was a restaurant owner in Endel, but lived with all of her heart for Jalen, which was, represents Jesus. She ended up as a ruler on the throne right beside Jesus in the kingdom of Aphabel. She was a ruler over a whole continent. And selfish missed out on an incredible opportunity to rule right beside Jesus for eternity. Why? Because with the five short years, the five years in the allegory represents our 70 to 90 years that we have, okay? The five years that he had in Endel, guess what? He was too busy. He was too important. He was too tired. He was too overwhelmed with circumstances. He was too distracted to serve the church. He was too selfish and important to serve Jesus on earth. And now he's at his judgment. And guess what? All he had at judgment was regret. I don't want you to go to judgment with regret. You may make it into heaven. I want you to go there with no regret of how you spent your time here on earth. So listen to his thoughts when he was listening to Lord Jalen speak to Charity and telling him the list of rewards that she was getting because she made the most of her five years. This is what Jalen was feeling. Look at this on the screen. As Jalen spoke these words to Charity, unpretentious, remember that's Selfish's new name. In heaven you will be given a new name. And his new name is Unpretentious. Unpretentious stood in the back, full of joy for his fellow classmates. However, this was mixed with a twinge of regret as he thought how he had the opportunity to influence thousands of lives for the kingdom and did not. He could have been one of those under rulers privileged to work directly with Jalen. 
He was thankful for his acceptance into the kingdom of Aphabel, but he realized he had wasted time in his short stay in Endel, and it would affect the rest of his 125 year, which represents eternity. For them, it's just 125 years, but for us, it's eternity. I want you to think about this for a minute. Just let this sink in. What if I told you that the way that you live in the next 24 hours would determine how you live in the next thousand years, what would you do differently? What if the way that you live in the next 24 hours would determine how you live in the next thousand? Guess what? I, I, I have a feeling, if, if this was a true thing, we'd have to leave the heat on at the church and the lights. Because I bet most of us would be at the altar weeping and crying and begging God for forgiveness for all the things we've done. We would get our, heart, our hearts right with God, right? For the next 24 hours, Jesus would be the king of our heart. I, I'm just guessing. Maybe not. Maybe you would go out and party and sin more because, after all, we only have 24 hours to live. I don't know. I know what I would do. I would say, sorry, honey, I love you, but I'm going to be at the church. So if you want to come see me, come to the church. And I'm going to be going around and I'm going to be asking for forgiveness from anybody that God places on my heart that I've offended. And I'm going to be repaying back debts that I owe. Right? After all, a thousand years doesn't even come close to eternity. And we only live 70 to 90 years if we're lucky here on earth. And the Bible says it very clearly. The rewards that are given at this judgment seat can either be burnt up or you can end up sitting on a throne right beside Christ. And it's all determined by what you do in this short vapor of a life. The Bible calls this life but a vapor. Are you getting this? Is this sinking in? Is it bringing conviction and transformation from the Holy Spirit? I hope so. Because this has wrecked me. I'm doing things way differently now because of this book. Because of what Scripture says about eternity. 1 Corinthians 9. Go there with me. We're going to hang out in chapter 9 and chapter 3 for a minute. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Once again, I think we've read this before, a little bit of this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So run in such a way. Okay, so that means it matters how you run this race. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. It matters what you think. It matters how much you give and how little you give. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. What is it? The prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, which means self-controlled in what? All. Everybody say it. I don't want to say it. All things. You said it. I didn't. All things. We have to be self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, under control. Lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know what that tells me right there? And I don't know if this is what he means. That some pastors are not going to make it to heaven. Because they did not discipline and bring their body under subjection, under control. Because I can preach to others. You can have a great message come out of your mouth, but not have Jesus as the king of your heart. You can, you can man, you, you're... We're really good at coming into church and putting on a, on a play, on an act. We are. But you're not fooling, you're not fooling God. Okay? 
This really is what you do outside of this building, really. God wants you to live now to receive eternal rewards. Listen to me. God wants you to live now because His desire as your daddy in heaven is He wants to give you eternal rewards. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just go back a couple chapters. Page 1129 in the Black Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want, I want to give you a glimpse of how you can receive a good reward. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. We're going to start with verse 9. Ready? For we are God's fellow workers. Wow. We're partnering with him. You are God's field. He works in you. <laughs> you are God's building. He's building you. Remember that our lives in Scripture, are all, our lives are always compared to buildings. It says in Proverbs, I believe, with wisdom your house is built. The house is your life. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. So not only is God building in my life, I'm a builder. We are all called builders. We're all called to be builders. Repeat, repeat this after me. I am called... To influence people's lives. That's huge. That's what you're called to. And you do it by the grace of God. Do you understand that in heaven, the front row in heaven is not reserved for pastors? The front row in heaven is reserved for anyone who makes Jesus Lord and Master of their life and lives it out here on earth. And there's many pastors that have not done that yet. And their motivations are not good. We'll talk more about this later. It's probably going to make you dance and shout. Finally, um, finally, after all that you've been through with this series, the next couple of sermons, you're going you're gonna, to, I really hope somebody starts yelling and screaming and jumping up and down. Because it's going to be awesome what God has prepared for you in heaven. It's going to be amazing. He goes on, I have laid the foundation... And another builds on it. But let each one take heed. What does it say? How. I underline those words because I'm encouraging you to underline them in your Bible. How he builds his house. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. Each one's work on earth will be made clear on the day of judgment. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. In other words, all the things that we did on earth are going to be, are going to be passed through the fire of God. And only the things of God will come out the other side. And that's what we'll be rewarded on. Does that make sense? If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So this is talking about the believer who still makes it to heaven, but just doesn't receive the reward they could have received. Okay? Do you know what this is telling us? This is telling us that every day we have a choice. Will we gravitate towards the flesh, the wood, hay, and straw? Or will we gravitate towards the spirit, which is the gold, silver, and precious stones, the eternal stuff? What are we going to gravitate towards? So, how we will build now 
will determine how we will fare in the fire of God's glory at judgment when he examines our work. Because some people don't believe our works are going to be important, so I want to point this out in Scripture in case you struggle with this. Because Revelations twenty two twelve says this, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give everyone according to his what? Okay? Not according to the prayer that you said. It's what you did after the prayer. After you gave your heart to the Lord, what did you do? How did you serve Jesus on earth? Wrestle with God. Don't wrestle with me. But be careful. If you wrestle with God too long, you may come away with a limp. Just ask Jacob. So, let's talk about what will be examined at judgment. Today, we're only going to cover four. What will be examined at judgment? Not only will our works be examined, but our words will be examined. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say to you that for every, every everyone say every, every, every idle word, which means ineffective word or worthless word or unfruitful word, every word that men speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. Wow. Uh-oh. Can you imagine after what you said to your wife this morning? Ooh, we got some fixing to do. Every word. Every single word. And not only our works and our words, but also, in your notes, our thoughts and our motives will be examined on the day of judgment. And those are scripture backup that we're reading right now. Now do you see why this book completely wrecked me? And why I had to share it with you? And why some of you are not happy with me? You know, do you realize it's good to be wrecked by God? Everyone say that. It's good to be wrecked by God. Say it. It's a good wrecking. Yeah. And by the way, when you get in that wreck with God, you have insurance. Okay? It's called eternity in heaven. Okay? So don't worry about it beating you up so much that you're going to die. And if you hang in there for the next couple of weeks, it's going to blow your mind with joy what God's going to reward you with. You're going to love the next couple of messages. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5 from the NIV says, I care very little if I am judged by you. Okay? See, that's why, that's why I said to you, my job is not to be your best friend because you're not going to be the one that judges me. I care very little, Paul says, if, if I'm judged by you or really any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. So why don't you guys stop judging yourself? Those of you that have sinned, and I, there's probably only two in the room that have ever sinned. Those of you that have sinned in this room, can you forgive yourself? You're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. And he forgave you. So stop being the judge of your sin. That's what I got from that. Ouch. Some of you need to let it go. So you screwed up. You didn't surprise Jesus. You didn't surprise us because we've screwed up. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And that's where we're going to land right now, the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, this is why Bible reading and intimacy with God are so important to do right now. Because the Word of God, listen, this is huge. The Word of God and the presence of God will judge the intentions and motives of your heart today. If you allow it to. The Word of God 
and the presence of God will judge the intentions and motives of your heart right now so that by the time you arrive at judgment, there will be no fear. You know why? Because the work has already been done. It's already completed. You did it on earth. And very little, when you go to judgment, will have to be burned up. And a whole lot will be given to you in reward because you did the hard work now. You don't pay the pastor to read the Bible for you. You should already know this, what I'm preaching. See, the, all what we're going to talk about in the next couple minutes is, all, is, the, is the importance of your heart being lined up with the heartbeat of your Father in heaven. Listen, you can have the Word of God judge your motivations now or later. You can have the Word of God judge your motivations now or later at judgment. But remember about later. It's late. Hmm. Too many people are getting mad at the church and at the pastor for reading Scripture that judges them. <laughs> you should already be reading it and being, not judged, but convicted. You should already be reading it and being convicted on your own and coming to me going, Pastor, I just read something that wrecked me and I need help. And I'll be like, yes. So then it wasn't me. Now you realize when a pastor's preaching the sermon, the feeling that you're feeling about the addiction you have is the Holy Spirit. It's not the pastor. I don't write a sermon for you. I don't think of you when I write a sermon. It's not who I, most of the time, as Ernie said last night in our house, most of the messages that we speak are because I need this. Most of my words come from what I need and what I've learned. has nothing to do with you, but if somebody's poking you in the ribs, and I don't mean your wife or your husband, that's the Holy Spirit. You better respond, because He's trying to get you ready for the day of judgment. Right? Are you with me? Do you still love me? Alright, get ready. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, why would he put that in there about the sword? Because it's going to pierce. It's going to pierce you sometimes. It's going to hurt. It's going to cut things out of your heart that don't belong. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And, and is, listen, the Word of God is a discerner, which means a judge of your thoughts and your intentions, your motivations in your heart. The Word of God does it all on its own. By the way, do I need to point out that we've been reading from the New Testament here? Does that make you believe it more? Those of you that believe the Old Testament is outdated and only follow the New Testament? In the New Testament, this is why Jesus said, take heed, listen to my words, because later is late. I'm telling you now, get it under control. Fix it. Forgive. Move on. Quit it. Stop it. Start it. Luke 8, 17 and 18 from the New King James Version says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore... Take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. In your notes, it's what we listen to that sinks into our hearts and shapes our thoughts and motivations. It's what we listen to. I would add, it's what you watch and what you read. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down at your works. 
Listen, this is the reason that Angel and I did not want our kids listening to secular music. They did anyways, because kids are going to sneak behind your back, and they're pastor's kids, which means they're just like your kids. They're not special. They're only special if they make Jesus the king of their heart. And I found out later, which I kind of knew, but we would inspect their iPods, and we would listen, and we would yell at them, and we would tell them to erase it, and they would erase it, and then 24 hours later, it would probably be back on their iPod. iPad. I don't know what those little things were back then, but come on. We, we weren't dumb. We knew they were listening to Justin Timberlake, and come on. We weren't stupid. But did we yell from the tower? Yes! Lucifer knows the power of music. He was a worship leader. It was his gift before he was kicked out of heaven. And if you don't think he's still using it today, then you're just going to wait till later to find out he did. He did. This is why we should be careful what movies we're watching. Because it has junk in it that we should not be seeing and hearing. Because listen, if we're honest and we know this, because we can see it in other people, we don't see it in ourselves. Over time, music and movies, magazines and TV shows, you name it, they'll dull your spirit. And you'll, they'll end up shaping your motives in your heart. And you won't even know it's happening. You know why? Because the enemy's good at what he does. And yet now, the modern Christian is watching, reading, and listening to anything and everything, and they're letting their kids as well, with no self-control. But their Bible, the Word of God, the very thing that will judge them someday, that's in a safe place. That's in a place where it won't convict me, it won't judge me, it won't pierce my heart, it won't demand anything from me, it won't change me, it's in a safe place, closed, somewhere on a shelf. Do you know what I realized recently? I'm going to be really vulnerable with you. Oh, Lord, why do I do this? Why do I do this publicly? It's, I don't know if it's because I love you or I'm just trying to fix myself. You know what I mean, letting the Lord fix me. I just realized recently the Lord convicted me that I can quote Seinfeld episodes way more than I can quote the Word of God. You know why? Because it's what I watch nonstop. Ask my wife. She just rolled her eyes. I can quote almost every single episode from all 19 seasons or however many seasons they had. That's embarrassing. Because I can't quote the Word of God like that. So guess what? Your pastor's on a new mission. Less Seinfeld, I'm saying it publicly so my wife can hold me accountable, and more Word of God. Less Hallmark Channel, too. No? Have you, been, have you been convicted about Hallmark Channel? No? No, she doesn't. No. No, but she's seen so many of those fake romance movies that she can tell you exactly what's going to happen before it happens. So I think that's the same thing. We have a Hallmark marriage. We do. Okay, Lord, forgive me. Listen, when you put the Word of God in you, you will make the right choice at the right time. You will make more wise choices because the Word of God is a light unto our path. Amen? 
What you hear goes into your heart, and then your heart manufactures or produces your motives. And remember the verse from the beginning of this series. The motives of the world is wanting, wanting, wanting. They're never satisfied. It never fulfills. Selfish. We become independent. We become faint heart. We become ruthless. We become slander. We become deceived. We become double life. Those were all the characters in the... In the um, allegory that either partially missed out on their reward or completely missed out on their reward. And guess what? Some of them that did not make heaven in the allegory knew God up here, but they never knew him here. They could quote scripture after scripture after scripture, but they never made Jesus the king of their heart. I'm telling you, you can go on our website and listen to me read it. Better yet, you can go on Amazon and buy a dramatized version of that of that allegory and it's amazing angel said for ten dollars and if you want it and you can't afford it i will buy it for you i'm thinking about buying a couple and just maybe doing like a giveaway thing you and if you have children you should definitely buy it and listen to it as a family in your notes i got to get done here the word of god guides and transforms your motives into a selfless thinking person a selfless thinking person a kingdom thinking person, a person who wants the glory of God in their life. Listen, we are better off if we allow the Holy Spirit to adjust our attitude and motives here on earth. Let me repeat that. We are better off if we allow the Holy Spirit to adjust our attitudes and motives right now on earth so that we can continue to build our house right. That is far better than having our attitudes and motives exposed at the judgment seat. And there are a lot of people still carrying baggage from their past. And sadly, even though the Bible warns again, against it, many Christians who are holding on to past hurts, past offenses, and past disappointments. And do you know what happens? That causes you to build your house wrong because you're building with the wrong motives. And that house that you've built may look fine for you and maybe some people around you, but at the day of judgment, that house built wrong will be exposed. And that's why it's so important to do as David warns us in the Psalms, to examine your hearts daily to see if there is any wicked way or wrong motive in your heart. And we need to stop pointing out other people's sin and worry about our own. Because it's our house that we'll have to answer. It's our house that we're going to have to answer for at judgment, not someone else's house. And when someone else sins against us or someone else disappoints us, we have to forgive. And I don't mean just saying, I forgive you. I mean really forgiving them in your heart because it will be your heart that's going to be exposed at judgment. And we better get this right now on earth because if you can't forgive others on earth now, your father says, I will not forgive you in heaven. I, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. And if you insist on punishing the person who hurt you now, when the Bible says that God will deal with them, then maybe your punishment will be greater in heaven. I don't know. I can't back that up scripturally. Remember the character Faint Heart in the allegory? She didn't make it to the kingdom of Aphabel because of unforgiveness. Remember Double Life had an affair with her? It was a teacher that she served under. And she thought she was good because she went to church and she knew Jalen, but she had bitterness in her. This is how Jesus or Jalen responded to her when she said, but Jalen, I believed in you. Look, look at this on the screen. Why, this is Jalen, why did you allow yourself to be deceived, faint heart? 
If you had believed what I said, you would have confronted the bitterness in your heart. Instead, you allowed it to grow unchecked out of your false comfort of unconditional security and now face a judgment that could have been averted. Listen, I am so sick to my stomach about how the church and believers are dealing with sin. I'm literally, I want to vomit about how the church and how we personally are dealing with other people's sin. We are so quick to throw people away when they sin, when they make a mistake. The church just removes them immediately. You know why? Because they don't want it to cause a division. They don't want to be embarrassed by it. So they just tell them to leave the church. We ask them to leave. We ignore them and hope they go away. We even drag them through the mud sometimes. We gossip to others about their sin. We are disgusted by them because they made a mistake. And we are appalled by them as if we never made a mistake before ourselves. The Bible says, give grace to others as I've given grace to you. I don't, I don't know if that's a verse, but I know it in so much it says that. Listen, we have to get back to what the Bible says about forgiveness and restoration. And if Light and Life Church has to lead the way in showing you and other churches how it's done biblically, then we will. Because we are told it biblically to forgive and restore, listen, quickly. You're not supposed to drag them through the mud for 15 years and then forgive them. You're supposed to forgive them quickly. Now, the importance is, do they want forgiveness and do they want to be restored? Because if they don't want forgiveness, if they don't think what they did was wrong and they don't want to be restored, you know what the Bible says? Hand them over to the enemy. It's very harsh, but that's what it says. Give them over to the enemy. Think about how quickly the divorce rate would go down if we forgave and restored people quickly that made a mistake. Instead of making them pay for this, their sins against us. Listen, you know why most Christians are divorcing? Because they're looking for a way out of their marriage. They're actually looking for it. And the moment their spouse makes a mistake, that's their, that's their reason. Well, he broke the marriage covenant. I'm out of here. There's no God. What do I do? Do I forget? You know, because forgiveness doesn't mean staying married, by the way. You know that? You can forgive someone and still divorce. Forgiveness doesn't mean the marriage is going to stay together. But I'm talking about heart motivation. I'm talking about what's in your heart. What is your motivation for wanting to be separated and divorced? Because, listen, we shouldn't be surprised that they sinned. Let me repeat that. We should never be surprised when someone we love falls into sin. We should never be surprised when someone in the church falls into sin. Because our enemy never stops trying to destroy us. He's trying to destroy this house of God. That's why we can't ever stop reading God's word and listening to his voice. Because that's the only thing that's going to help us build our homes right. In your notes. Here's a huge statement. Probably the statement of the day. We are supposed to approach the judgment seat of Christ with a clear conscience. And you can't do that if you're holding on to unforgiveness or any kind of baggage. That's, that, this is why your pastor and his wife are so passionate about the inner healing process. Because it's all about letting go of baggage that you don't even know is there. And we have a conference this March. It's filling up fast. You want to get in on it. Fight for your freedom. Get rid of anything that, that may be held against you at judgment so that you can approach the throne of Jesus with confidence. You know what Paul said to Timothy? Timothy he said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Please don't kid yourself into thinking just because you go to church or just because you're a pastor or ministry leader or even a believer that you have a clear conscience. Especially if you're not reading your Bible 
or you don't have intimacy with Jesus, or you're not connected to the Holy Spirit. How are you going to know if you don't have those three things in your notes? By the way, I just wanted to put in this. Your conscience is what comes from your heart. It's that inner voice that guides either good or bad behavior, depending on the condition of your heart. It's what comes from your heart. When you're about to make a decision, by the way, and your mind is telling you that it is right, but your heart is telling you that it's wrong, always go with your heart. But remember, we have to make sure we're building our heart with godly principles and morals. We have to feed our heart with the Word of God. What does the Bible say? The Word of God should be written on your heart. I could be wrong, but I'm starting to believe. I'm starting to believe. And this is going to apply to some of you in this room. I'm starting to believe that this is the reason that many believers have stopped hearing God's voice. Because at some point, they went against what God was telling them in their heart. And they listened to what was in their mind. And in their heart is jealousy or envy or hatred or unforgiveness or disappointment or confusion. I don't know, but I believe you're probably unaware of it. And instead, what you're doing is you're going, God, why can't I hear your voice? Instead of screaming that, why don't you just quietly say, Holy Spirit, will you reveal to me what I've allowed into my heart that has caused me to not have a clear conscience? That has caused me to not hear God's voice. And then just sit quietly and wait. Because the Holy Spirit may show you a word. He may show you a picture. He may show you uh, an event that happened that triggered this. But you got to be ready to listen. Instead of yelling, God, why can't I hear your voice? Holy Spirit, what have I done? What have I done? What, what have I allowed in my heart? Not what have I done. What have I allowed in my heart that I'm unaware of but the enemy's aware of? What is there that he... That he caused to, to make me feel like I've been separated from God. You'll be surprised to find out that God was speaking to you the whole time. And because you weren't silent and because you asked the wrong question, he couldn't get through to you. You see, the first question is selfish. God, why can't I hear your voice? That's a selfish question. The second question is selfless. What have I done? What have I allowed in my heart? Now, John Bevere says, for the believer, your works... Your words, your thoughts, and your motives will be exposed at judgment along, listen, with 16 to 20 other things. And in the books, he gives scriptural backup for it. You know what else is going to be exposed at judgment? Your giving, your tithing, your giving of your time, talents, and finances. That's going to be exposed at judgment. You know what else is going to be exposed? The blessing. Did you bless your enemies or did you curse them? Did you give? Did you bless people when God told you to? You'll have to read the book. It's amazing. You have to read it on your own. So according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if we are building God's house, our lives, this all means that we have to be careful when picking out our building materials. Okay? Because eventually there's going to be an inspection. And believe me, this is going to be a detailed inspection of every area of your house. So be careful not to use cheap materials. Jerry, don't use the plywood that you like to use. Get the good stuff. What is it called? I can't remember. Particle board plywood. No, we use the good stuff. We pay an extra $20 and use the good stuff. If you use cheap materials, if you listen, watch, read the wrong things now and don't prepare your house, Jesus is going to find it. 
Paul said, I run with a purpose in every step. Do you know what he's basically saying? I'm working on my retirement, baby. I'm working on my retirement. Do you know we spend more time preparing for our earthly retirement that may last 10 to 15 years if we're lucky? Do you know I've heard of people retiring and dying a week later? So some of them don't even last a week, and yet they have this huge 401k. I'm not saying it's bad, but here's my point. What if we work towards both retirements? That's all I'm saying. Why don't we invest in both retirements? Let's invest in heaven and our earthly retirement. Are you with me? I want to end with two scriptures. First one is 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11 from the NIV. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. We're going to talk about that one next week. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And he's talking about earth there. If you do these things, you're not going to stumble on earth. And when you get to heaven, you'll receive such a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to blow your mind. Let me end with a passage that brings all of this together. And I want you to hear me. Peter's heart here in 2 Peter 1, that's where we're going to go. We're going to keep reading it. We're going to divide it up now. I'm going to read it from the message. Because this, this passage is, is entitled, Don't Put It Off. But this is my heart as well as Peter's heart. I am not here to be your best friend. Let me repeat that. I'm not here to be your best friend. I'm, he, I'm in your life to prepare and equip you for good works. To help you prepare for your eternal retirement. You ready? I hope you can amen that. Verse 3. We're going to jump all over. Verse 3. Just read it on the screen. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. Who's that? Jesus. Verse 5. So don't lose a minute in building. Don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Verse 10. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, His choice of you. Don't Put it off. Do it now because later is late. Do this and you will have your life on a firm footing. You will be able to approach the judgment seat of Christ with peace and excitement and joy and you won't be sweating. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Because the stakes are so high. Even though you're up to date on all this truth and practice it inside and out. I'm not going to let up for a minute in calling you to attention before it. This is the post to which I've been assigned as your pastor. Keeping you alert with frequent reminders. You love me? Amen. Let's take out our connection cards. Worship team, come. Wow. We just want you to make a decision today. If you turn those over, if, if today, if you're here and you've never started a relationship with the Lord and you're like, wow, wow, I really need to make things right with God today. The checkbox number one. 
Ask the Lord into your heart with a prayer as we worship or as you close or even right now. But just remember, it's not the prayer that's going to save you. It's when you make Jesus Lord and Master of your life and you surrender your life to Him. All of your thoughts, actions, words and deeds, behaviors, your addictions, just surrender it all. You don't have to be perfect to start a relationship with Him. That's the whole idea. He came for the sick, not the healthy. Maybe you just walked away from the Lord and you just want to renew your relationship with God. You can check box number two. This is really between you and God. All we look for is the first box so that we can send folks um, things to help them in their journey with the Lord. But this is really about you making a spiritual step this morning. Otherwise, you just listen to a sermon that you're going to forget about and you've never made a decision. We want you to make a decision and return to the Lord. Box number three is for believers. That maybe today, maybe what resonated with you is I haven't heard God's voice in a while. So maybe you're stuck in your walk with the Lord. Maybe it's to examine your heart for wrong motives that may be keeping you from hearing God's voice. And then for the mature Christian, people that have been following Christ for some time, maybe it's about you just being more intentional about planning for your eternal retirement, which means getting more involved in church activities, getting more involved in God activities outside of church. It's just building up the kingdom and doing things for God instead of yourself. Because that's what we're going to be judged by. Please place those in the baskets on your way out. I, I appreciate everyone participating in that. I want to say this one more time. You're not going to want to miss the next couple sermons. It's going to blow your mind when you find out what God has prepared for the believer in eternity. Can I pray with you? And then you can stick around and worship. You can come to the altar and search your heart for wrong motives. Or you can leave. Nobody's going to judge you for that. We don't judge here. I hope you just hang out and just say, Lord, I don't want to leave this place without making sure the motives of my heart are pure. Just, just do an examination. You can never go wrong hanging out in the presence of God. We're not going to pray for you. I'm asking nobody to lay hands on anybody unless they come to you and ask you to pray. This is just about people hanging out in the presence of God. Remember the three-minute rule. If you don't come up and hang out with God, remember the three-minute rule. Let's pray. Hallelujah, you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I don't have to say much this morning. We're going to sing about it. Lord, help us to make you the king of our hearts, the ruler and master and Lord of our lives, of our words, of our works, of our thoughts, of our motives, our tithing and our giving and our blessing of our enemies and praying for them. Lord, if... if if there is someone here today that's really struggling to forgive, and I'm telling you, when, when we struggle to forgive, that means we don't have the heart of our Father because one of the reasons why we struggle to forgive is because we want the person who hurt us to suffer. And I'm telling you, it is not our job to punish people because the Lord already took care of that on the cross. So you need to get that lie from the enemy out of your heart and say, it is not my job to punish them. It's my job to set them free of their guilt and shame and insecurity and rejection. I forgive them because this isn't about me. It's much bigger than me. What would Jesus do? He would forgive them quickly and say, Oh, honey, it's so awesome that you asked me for forgiveness. I forgive you with all of my heart. It doesn't mean you're going to forget what they did for you, but what it does mean is that you will never, ever bring it up again. 
If you've truly forgiven, it should not be replaying in your mind. If that event is still replaying in your mind, what they did or said, that means you have not forgiven them. I don't care what you've said with your mouth. A pure heart makes a pure mind. And it should be gone. So if that's you, you need to do some business and you need to say, God, you need to help me with this because I'm struggling to forgive. Because I don't want them to be let off the hook. And I believe if you actually go to Jesus with this, he's going to go, how many times have I let you off the hook? Why is it that you want to be let off the hook, but you don't want them to be let off the hook? Isn't that interesting, guys, how the enemy plays with us? You give them as much grace as I have given you, and you will have a pure conscience. Maybe you've struggled with an addiction or something that you've been trying to let go for a long time, and you don't want to go to judgment with that. Listen, it doesn't mean you're going to be left out of heaven. It just means you might not receive the reward that God wants for you. Today's the day, I believe, I'm feeling very strong in my spirit that someone here is going to let go of an addiction and you're not, it's going to be gone. Let me, let, me, let me repeat that. It's going to be gone. You've tried all kinds of things and it hasn't worked, but today, God's going to remove it from you and you're not going to have the desire anymore. So if that's you, please don't walk out of here. You need to, do, you need to either stay in your seat and ask God, for, ask God for forgiveness for that addiction and say, I, I, it's gone. I don't know who that is. It may be multiple people, but I'm sensing at least one. Today it's going to be gone if you give it to God. But if you just walk out of here because you're in a hurry, listen, none of our teams are in the Super Bowl, so none of us should be in a hurry to go home, right? I shouldn't say that. I don't know if there's any fans here, but it's going to be gone in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that. Maybe you have a physical ailment that, that has caused you to doubt God. Believe today that you're going to receive your healing. Believe in all of your heart. Get rid of the lies that are in your heart that God is punishing you and that's why you have that disease. That is such a huge lie of the enemy. God died for healing. By his stripes we are what? Right. So why are we blaming God like it's some sort of punishment? Part of it is there's wrong motivations in your heart. You've allowed or believed a lie from the enemy in your heart and now your heart doesn't line up with your daddy's heart. So maybe aligning your heart and finally believing and starting to thank God every day for your healing, maybe that's what he's waiting for. For you just to align your heartbeat up with his heartbeat. Father, we ask this all in your name. Be the king of our hearts, Lord, as we leave here today. Help us to love others as much as you love them. Help us to forgive them as quickly as you would have forgiven them, as you do forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.